Here's a thought. What if you woke up to find you'd won $20,000 every month for 20 years? Imagine the possibilities. Set for life from New South Wales Lotteries. Grab an entry in-store or online today. Welcome to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Okay, my microphone's on. It's a little bit earlier than usual this week. Welcome to the legendary Marcinho episode 23 of the Brisbane Football Review. It's a special Monday recording session this week. I'm your host, James Coglin, and I'm joined, as always, by Scott Owen. And just back from a North American sojourn is Adam Pates, who has just cleared customs. Welcome back, Adam. How was the official with the rubber glove? <laughs> yeah, oh, geez. They, those TSA officers are a worry. They, they, they got my wife, so I, I bought them, but yeah, no. So. Is she actually in the country now, or did you leave her behind? I don't know. She got back, but uh, <laughs> no, they, they literally left their mark. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I'm not sure where to go yeah. with that. <laughs> I hope she's not listening. <laughs> Legendary Marcinho, though. Are you sure about that? Well, he had like three or four good passes. He missed from two yards in a preliminary final in the first five minutes. Haven't we all done that? <laughs> all right, so yes, we are recording on a Monday this week because there's no rule game to talk about coming up this weekend. So we thought, let's get this over and done with and give ourselves a few days off and follow the lead of the club, I think. Absolutely. All right, let's get into segment one, the A-League review of the Raw's 3-1 win over the Newcastle Jets. Scott, what do you think of the game? I thought it was a, the reaction that was needed after the All-Sign game. We needed a, a win, basically. It didn't matter how we got the win. And we got the win in, well, somewhat controversial circumstances given refereeing decisions but we got the win and I thought we were well worth it in the second half Adam look it's hard for me personally obviously you know being being overseas it's hard to know sort of how bad you know bar than for what I've read about you know the previous weeks that lost to Wellington lost to Ulsan but I think by sounds but you know, it was a reactionary win and I think it's it's confidence now and they can actually now go into a break with at least with some confidence with the rest of the season coming up yeah, it does feel like it was a result that was needed, and you could kind of tell they were rallying themselves after, what was it, 10 games in 35 days. There was a lot more, I suppose, almost fire in the team. Maybe it was from bringing in a few players that were a little bit fresh, having been rested against Ulsan and whatnot. Possibly. I mean, obviously, Papadopoulos came in, we'll get to him in a minute, but I think the team did look a little bit sharper. It was a five-day break between games, which is... For them, it's a luxury. Yeah, exactly. That's fantastic, really, given that it's been 72, days between, 72 hours between games for the last three weeks, basically, so... Which actually, I remember one of the guys on our fan cam said that was Thomas Broach's favourite schedule, though, all play, no train. <laughs> but um, yeah, team news. So in the 24 hours before kickoff, the Raw lost uh, Thomas Christensen and Brandon Borello, and in came Joe Coletti and Manuel Arana. And I actually thought Arana probably had one of his better showings of the season. Sure. Uh, well, yeah, well, yeah. Comparatively, maybe. Yeah, look, in the, grading I, on I a guess, curve. I guess it's a, it's a low bar for, for Arana. Look, you know. It's yeah. Look, he, he was he was involved in both the the goals at the back end of the game, but I thought you know, he was he's a lot below par than what we expected for a player that's you know on a visa that's a visa player. I think he sort of I think patience is starting to wear very very thin with the, with the supporters about what what we expect him to be to what he's actually performing at the moment. He's made eighteen appearances now, James. Yeah, I'm just wondering if we put those eighteen games in someone like Shannon Brady, where he would have got to. I mean, I can't see him being much worse than Arana. Yeah, I actually think you got a point there, but I do think. You know, considering the curve of what he's done yeah. throughout the season, it was one of his better performances. And we performances. did mention last week's squad balance and 
essentially ill balance at the back. I mean, so anyway, we've talked about this before. Yes. And Thomas Christensen, he appeared to be limping off in the Urua game. So are you surprised he missed this one? Ulsan game. Ulsan. <laughs> Who played Urua? The Wanderers. There we and go. they got thrashed. Yeah. Just had to, had to get that in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we can yeah. really talk too much about a champion. No, but I do think that with Christensen made that, sense to leave him that, out. Are you confused with that their video that I posted on, uh, on the Raw Review on Saturday? Yeah, that's probably yeah. it. Yeah. With Christensen, though, it does make sense to rest him. I mean, we've got now a week and a half off, so just let him and Brandon Brolly get fully ready for the game against Cashman, which we do have to win, really. Um, we'll have to get something anyway. And while there was, while there is obviously a drop-off between Christensen and Coletti, I feel like Coletti's actually held his own throughout the games that he's played so far. I think it's telling that it's Coletti starting these games now, not Pepper. A few months ago, it was the other way around. That's right. Okay, so let's get on to the incidents in the game. The first one that really popped up and was controversial was Corey Brown giving away a penalty against Alexander Coco. I honestly thought it was a like a clear penalty. Brown slid in his trailing leg, took out Coco's shooting leg. Adam? Look, on first look, and I guess on the referee's look, yeah, look, it looked a stonewall penalty. You know, it, but then when you look at the replays, you, know, you can see actually it's Coco's leg that's actually the one that's actually contacted with Brown. So... What like I guess at the end we we play to the first side and I I got no problem with the penalty but the the one thing that sort of is in my mind especially looking down past a month's time is this the sort of incident that could be potentially overturned by the video assistant referee because it looked in the end of the day that you now it was you know initi- contact initiated by the attacker and he's gone down so I'm not saying that it, it would have occurred but it's something you know, is it in the realms that you know it's a possibility and that that's Looking at it from first look, it's something that's, you know, that could really change the game. It possibly could be one of those ones. I think that comes in round 26, the review system thing. But I mentioned this last week. It was only clear what happened after you saw all the different Fox camera replays. The only one that mattered yesterday was what the referee saw. And I think it was very similar to the grand final when we played Perth, when Liam Miller slid into Bessart Borussia. Yep. It looked like a penalty from yep. that view, so he gives it. Yep. It, i got no problems with that being given. No, yeah, I, I honestly think it was, for me, it was a penalty because... Again, use to flip the script argument. If that had have been, say, Lachlan Jackson sliding in on Jamie McLaren and clearing out his shooting leg... You'd be calling for the penalty. Yep. Yeah, we'd Absolutely. all be up in arms. And, you know, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, it was never a penalty. But to me, that just says that the rules about what is and isn't a foul are clearly are not clear enough for a lot for your average fan to understand. Because if you're going to take out the shooting leg like that, yeah, okay, Coco clearly initiated a lot of the contact, mm-hmm. but... Brown still put himself in that position, and I honestly thought he was a little bit panicked when he did try to slide in and make that desperation challenge. I do think those times where this was this would be a decision that would be reviewed by the the video review thing. It w- even if it wasn't overturned, it'd be one that have a good look. Absolutely, at. Absolutely, yeah. And that's the one thing I'm not going to because at the end day the the game the, our game at the moment the football is actually ruled by the first look and what the referee sees. And from the first look, watch it on TV live. I thought penalty, but yeah. then when you see when Fox runs 35 replays in 10 different angles, all of a sudden, you, you know, you start looking and it's, you change your mind on it. And that's the fear about the v, the VAR is that w- whether they will change because of the benefit of seeing multiple yeah. replays. But isn't that what a VAR is supposed well, to be able well, to do? We yeah. don't want the actual referee to be shy of making a decision, mm. though, because of the potential being overturned by the video re- video review thing. You want them to be able to be strong to make a decision when they we, see, we see it. That, we see that a lot in cricket now, where an umpire is afraid to give an LBW because of the fear of being overturned by DRS. So we And I would hate to think that the, that the sport is going to go down that path. And we don't want the halves going from, you know, 46, 47 minutes to 54, mm. 55 because you're always reviewing certain things. 
The one thing that I will point out is Andy Harper was his ever-observant self by saying there was no contact whatsoever. <laughs> oh, dear. And Mark Cockrell was also very observant. Mm. Yeah, I... It's the worst commentary team I can imagine. Uh, see, I like Mike Cockrell. I think he's really good when it comes to broadcasting. He's got a good voice yeah. and he really can convey the moment. But... He just needs to keep his opinions to himself, I think. Well, that's... Yeah. yeah. And actually call the, call the play-by-play rather than... Yeah. But I like... Uh, but yeah, it does kind of seem like it was a game where... the two of them were thinking can we just get to our weekend now please <laughs> but yeah uh there was more refereeing issues coming up soon with the double yellow send-off for jason hoffman inside half an hour the first one came for descent i believe it was kicking the ball away uh, he, he picked it up and he punched it and it went yeah. away well that's because he thought he was playing aussie rule so that clearly deserves a yellow <laughs> card and then the second one was he obstructed was it arana actually it was arana it was obstruction yeah it and... was really really soft in truth but you've just been given a yellow card mm, and for those of you that haven't seen it, which I'm guessing would be very few of you, he put his arms out like he was, you know, Kate Winslet on the Titanic. <laughs> That's a good example. I think it slightly brushed Arana's like, face oh, yeah. as well. I think the contact on Arana's face was minimal, and Arana did clearly make the most of it. Yeah, but, that, that, that concerns me, that, but we've, we've spoken that before. But, anyway. but in that same regard, also, how stupid are you as a defender to stick your arms out like that and try and put yourself in that position when you know referees have been clamping down on any sort of contact with the head lately? And you've just been booked. The only argument you can make in Hoffman's defence is maybe Jared Gillette as a senior referee can say, look, just calm down. You've just got a yellow card. This is your absolute last warning. Yeah. I'm not going to send you off, but that's the next stupid foul. But is. if he saw contact to the face, again, he only gets one look at it. The referee. Yeah. Mm, and he might have saw contact to the face. That's the yellow card offence. And I'll tell you what, some of the reactions from Newcastle fans, it, I thought Perth had big conspiracy theorists there. <laughs> but uh, They yeah. do. They do, by the way. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm just pointing out Newcastle will ha- have their own uh, share of it. Overall, Mar- and that actually led to Mark yeah. Jones getting dismissed. Yeah, he and proper lost it, didn't he? Mm, which was actually quite fun yeah. to see. As soon as, soon as, as, soon as the, um, the assistant referee went to... Went to Joe Gillette and then he went to the fourth first. You, you knew yeah. Mark Jones, goodbye. You're, you're going for the stands. But I, and I will point out that once again, another week of our oh, A League referees are the worst in the world. Try mm. watching a few other sports oh, as well. Oh, I watched <laughs> the game on Saturday night that proper that I almost lost it out as well. A particular Premier League game that was on free to air television on Saturday night. Yeah, I didn't watch the Premier League this weekend. Okay. It was too painful no, with Liverpool jet, and Arsenal. Jet lag did me in, so. But, well, I, well, okay, just to sort of go yeah. off on a little tangent, like we were having. Uh, discussion in our group conversation while I was watching the Reds on Thursday night and I was getting really frustrated with that there but it's just for me it feels like I do kind of wonder if these players are getting too big too fast for one official to have a proper thing of it but then I look at the NFL where they've got seven on field officials and well, you... in Europe they do feel the Champions League games do have referees on the goal line I don't know what a goal line referee would have been able to see in terms of the second Hoffman yellow card and even if he'd be able to rule on it because it wasn't in the penalty area so but I do have that extra official there. Maybe that's something that you could look at. But again, this is the A-League and it's cost prohibitive and all the rest of it. So, But, well, and the point I was just saying is, you know, with the NFL, you've got seven on-field officials and they still get calls they wrong. They take five minutes to get things right anyway. Well, and they don't always do that. So, you know, how much, you, how much is having that extra set of eyes really going to help? Hmm. All right, so... There's more controversy as well because of the raw penalty in the second half. Well, we'll get to that soon. But the first goal, what, what did you think of that? For the raw? Yeah, for the raw. Okay. I can't remember the first goal, to be honest. Adam. This is so bad. I can't remember it. Hang on, I'm trying to remember in my mind. It was a penalty. Yeah. Oh, what? I just talked about it. You confused <laughs> me then. I know, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Don't oh, do I'm that. It's so <laughs> easy. <laughs> you can't remember. It was a pen. <laughs> so, Thomas Broach got pulled down in the area, wasn't it? Yeah, he got 
got yeah. dragged down by the arm. It was a clear penalty. Yep. Mm. And that was just after Gillette had actually gone and warned Newcastle about pulling on the shirt. Yep. And they were trying to, you know, rip the shirt off Broich's back before the ball even came in. And then pulled down on his arm, and yet, once again, it's a conspiracy it, against Newcastle. Yeah, it wasn't even shirt pulling, it was an arm pull yeah. down. I, I, I couldn't, I cannot believe that you know, people could say how there'd be any doubt in that. Like I said, if it happens at the other end, they're screaming blue motor. So, yeah. It's... What I can't believe is the referee took a good couple of seconds to give it. That's what I couldn't believe. He thought about it for a couple of seconds, then he pointed to the Maybe spot. he had to find his whistle. Maybe. But the other thing for that is also, you know, it was nice to see someone attacking Broach's arm instead of his ankles for once. <laughs> <laughs> And Jamie McLaren stepped up and I thought handled himself really well and buried the chance. He's done very well with penalties this year, McLaren. I remember he missed one last year at home. I can't remember who it was against, but he missed one. He got the tap in as a follow-up. That's right, yeah. But he's done really well with penalties. Knock on wood, he keeps that going. But it's good to see we're converting chances when we get them. But speaking of Jamie McLaren, he got a second goal as well. He was able to pounce on a rebound from an Arana shot. But I thought, again... Much like the last few weeks, he's making all the right runs now and he's getting himself in good position. I actually thought, I think you got to give him more credit than what he's actually been given for. It was, I think, a very, very good goal. Like, I think to stay, to stay on side, because a lot of those goals where it's, it's a shot from sort of, you know, from 20, 25 yards out, which are parried by the keepers, a lot of, a lot of the time they're ruled offside because the striker just can't help themselves and actually gets in front. So he's actually done well tonight. He's done the last man for that amount of time, but then also to, you know, they quickly sort of tap it in. Sort of in one motion. So I think it's really, it was a really, really good goal, in my opinion. Yeah, they're often either offside or they're on their mm. heels and they're not able yeah. to get there in time. So it was really well timed. Or they do panic and wind up skying it over yeah. the bar. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so it's a, a good, good quality strike for, you know, obviously one of the best strikers in the league. Is that 14 goals this year now? It, I know, it, it just doesn't feel like it because there's so many penalties. But And but, and also, I suppose, with the number of chances he's created, yeah. it feels like he could be on more, but he also mm. it so also doesn't feel like he's actually made 14. The narrative around him as well with is he staying, is he going, is he in form, out of form, it just... It's kind of got lost a little bit, the amount of goals he has scored this year. Mm. And he wasn't happy when he got subbed off right at the end, was he? No, he, no, was, he was pretty proper lost. And I don't think his mood improved much either about 30 seconds later when a clear chance popped up for his replacement. Nick D'Agostino and Scott. Yeah. I've got a, I've got that a, was Adam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Scott is probably Nick D'Agostino's yeah. biggest fan that's not a family member. So. I'm a fan of young players getting a chance, James, yeah. and that's what it is. And I'm, I'm glad he actually did get his chance to score the goal because it'll be, do him the world of good. Yeah. Any that's chance what, he's been, that's what he's been lacking, really, in his game is putting the chance away, and I hope he kicks on from here now that he's got his first goal out the way. You could see his reaction. There was a lot of, re- re- was a lot was of relief on his face, yeah. not excitement. All right, so we're going to move on to Avram Papadopoulos. Had to pause for a second to get his first name right. And he got it first time. He got it first yep. time. There's no editing there. Just don't ask me about Nathan K. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. Syllables. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so he got his first start. I thought he had a nice little edge of aggression to him. He was sliding in all over the place and... He's got a decent boot on him as well. He's a very different defender than anything we've seen from the Raw in the last six or seven years. Really. All the defenders have had have been really good on the ball, etc. But not that he's not, but he's just a big, strong guy who gets his foot stuck in. I think it's it's interesting to see how this is going to pan out. He's a, he, he looks a typical you know, European centre-back. Now, yeah. That's something I think in the league in general with that. Like we saw it with Del Pierre. We see it now, now with Barrow and... Um, Boys at Sydney, I think it's a different sort of type of defender to what we breed here in Australia, which are sort of more mobile. So, and if we do look ahead, we probably might look ahead to the, the end of the season in later segment. But you look at some of the centre forwards in the league, Bobo, for example, he's a perfect matchup on a, on someone like that to put on one on one. Someone who can actually, yeah, get yeah. up there, match and... that physicality, yeah. which I don't think North and Luke Devere really have. A, but not that it's a knock on them; it's just they're different sorts yeah. of defenders. Yeah, although I have to admit they've held out against Bobo quite well, yeah. the two of them, but. 
Look, you can never have too many options, I feel no. like, going into this part of the season, especially with the Champions League. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, do you reckon Thomas Broach should have been on earlier? You can make the... I thought he could have come on at halftime because the, um, when the send-off happened in the... Was it 37th minute? 31st, I think. Yeah, I think the crowd got into it from then for Newcastle and we struggled to create many chances at that point. I think the second half, obviously, Alice said something to them to get it... Because we got far, far more possession second half and it started to open up. We were... When we got the penalty, it was coming. It wasn't out of nowhere. This is three points that the team needs. Yeah. Like, go out and go get it. Particularly given the results earlier in the round with Perth dropping points. Well, why don't we get on to those other results right now? Mm. All right, so we've got Sydney FC against Melbourne victory. It was a very, very wet game. I enjoyed scrolling around some of the uh, channels on Friday night. Did and just you see this, Adam, or were you absolutely out of it after your flight? <laughs> <laughs> I was going this game wouldn't have done much for you for a sleep anyway because it wasn't the most exciting game in truth. It was tense. It was mildly tense, and when Sydney scored, you just knew it was over. Yep. And I think that's the one thing, well, we've said it before and we'll say it again, Graham Arnold is an expert at finding a way to shut up yeah. shop and grind out a 1-0 win. Only thing saying victory defenses, they did have a couple of chances they should have done better with, but in the end of that, they didn't do enough and are the we, Premiership race is gone. Are we in this room, we're declaring Premiership played over, I'd say? It might be over this yeah. week. There's ele- there are 11 points clear with 15 points to play for. So if victory drop points this weekend yeah. and they win, it's over. Which, as Raw fans, we'd almost have to be hoping the victory drop points so that... Yeah, I want them a... out of it before we play them in a couple mm. of weeks. I want victory out of the race officially before we play them because then they might start dropping off. Yeah, you know. starting focusing on the finals more. Well, I'd say first and foremost, I want the victory dropping points. And yeah. like, if that means conceding the Premier's plate to Sydney, so be it. Yep. All right, so Wellington 3, Perth 3. I was at Logan during this game, so... Well, I didn't see this game all the next game because I was up at Redcliffe watching another game, so I've got a clue. I missed this game as well. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually go and watch the highlights, so I no, thought but it was, I was a very entertaining game. I did game. see Diego oh, Castro's goal. I was, goal. I was at lawn bowling. <laughs> so, no, I did see Diego Castro's free kick goal, whatever it was from the sideline. That was really well taken. Well, looking at this from a whole league perspective, who does this result hurt more? Wellington in their pursuit of the finals race or Perth in their pursuit of a home first round final? I think the top four is still in Perth's hands to some extent because they obviously play the Raw towards the end of the season. I think they also play Melbourne City. So they still have an opportunity to cement their own destiny. I think it hurts Wellington. This is a home game. They would have looked at Perth a big trip. They would have said, This is three points for us here. And Given, I suppose, the fact that Central Coast, the Wanderers, and Newcastle all drop points, they've escaped, but this was an opportunity for them, but they've missed. And, you know, you know the reason Perth actually had to make a rare trip away from home? What's this? Justin Bieber. Is that right? Yeah, it's the reason that the Western Force had to play on Thursday night, because Bieber and his people... Do you want to explain this Perth rare away trip thing one day, or are you just going to let it go? I'm just going to let it go until someone asks about it. (laughs) I thought that was supposed to be an off-air discussion that you've now brought on air, so thank you very much for that. That's (laughs) fine. All right, so move on to West Sydney Wanderers against Adelaide. Wanderers wrongly denied a goal. Any sympathy for them? Adam's reaction to when I asked him about Sydney and Melbourne, that's my reaction to this game. There, yeah. were no, there weren't any highlights in this game to speak about, really. Two, yeah. it, it sounded like two teams that just, just come back from Asia and really couldn't be bothered. That's why it sounds but... but I suppose for the Wanderers, it doesn't actually hurt them as much as it could have, considering... Yeah, they're like... still in the six, but... Mm. I think for I think for them they didn't lose. And I think that's probably if there's a very little um thing they can take out of it, it is 
Yeah, they didn't lose. They're still winless at this new home stadium of theirs, though. That's unbelievable. That's kind of funny. All right, so we're going to move on to the early Sunday game, or the regular Sunday game, which was Mariners against City. City got up 3-2. to two. I did watch this game. I can't believe the Mariners didn't get anything out of this game. Well, I think they can put a lot of the blame squarely on Paul Izzo, who decided to crash tackle well, Bruno Fornaroli clear I on goal. That's part of it, but... I not believe that. The second goal for Melbourne City, I mean, the Mariners should have had a stonewall penalty at the other end. For one, and it goes straight down the other end, and it's an unlucky own goal, two 0 and they created a lot. Central Coast Mariners, in truth, that's why I'm so I'm disappointed for them. They didn't get anything out of this game because they really did deserve it. I, I'm actually I'm actually now like you, you know I was fairly critical of Paul Ocon at the start of the season. I'm actually starting to feel sorry for him because if the Mariners actually put 90 minutes together without a couple of brain explosions, yeah. they're actually going to be a decent club. I think. I think next season they, they they recruit well. I think they might be sort of you know at the bottom end of the six. You know, it's just under his under his so guidance. Well, they're already in that bottom group. Yeah. So they might just be at the yeah. top of that next. Yeah, group. that's what I mean. Yeah. So Adam's point. He's he's converted Liam Rose from a centre midfielder to a centre back ball playing, and that's worked really well for them. And look, they what they're lacking is a tiny bit of experience scattered mm-hmm. through that team. I mean, Tavares and Fatih, Obviously, they weren't his signings. It was done before he got there. They haven't worked. I think it's already confirmed they're going. If they can get that right. <laughs> They've got to keep hold of O'Donovan as well. That's the other thing mm. for them. They, if they lose O'Donovan, they, they need a striker. So, But I suppose you'd almost have to think Paul O'Con, with the way he's going right now, he would be able to find, even if it is just a young striker. Also, they're probably in a goalkeeper because Izzo's... I don't mind Paul Izzo. He's just got that big brain explosion in him every now and again and it costs you as it did mm. yesterday. I think so. just on that striker thing as well, Like so they've, got, they've got two very, very good wing, good young wingers, obviously in, in Connor Payne and Trent Bahaja. So I think... Losing O'Donovan will probably be a really big thing, but they're just going to need an out-and-out South Australia poacher. And I think it's a, that might be the key of them going forward. Well, you never know. Uh, maybe you'll be able to find one in the NPL Queensland. That's a a be, yeah. And that's what we call a tease for segment two. We'll be back right after this. This is the Brisbane Football Review. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back. It's the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. And welcome back to segment two of the Brisbane Football Review. It's episode 23 here in the Switch 1197 studios for the Outside90 Fan Network. It's James Scott and Adam back again. Feel a bit weird, Adam? Yeah. <laughs> I'm vetoing it. This is the um, Milan Susak edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Uh, not Marcinho? No. Uh, well, if you insist, Scott. <laughs> so I think it's your pet project uh, anyway. Our, our standards are higher than Marcinho. <laughs> yeah, well, Milan Susak did start in the grand final. Exactly. So I did. What's he up to now? I'm not sure. It's a Indonesia? good question. Indonesia? That's I know that's where he left off. Something maybe to keep an eye on for I still former him... players to rap late in the hey, week. Yeah, I, I was might, just saying, I might, it's I still... might suss that out and find out now. Because I've still seen him posting a few little things saying, oh, well done, Raw, for your win or yeah. stuff. So, yeah, maybe we'll actually have to uh, research that as a bit of off-season filler because God knows we're going to need it. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of filler, that's why we're recording on a Monday. So, yeah, let's get into the local leagues. In the NPL Queensland Round 2, so it was Saturday night, Brisbane Raw 4 defeated Western Pride 3. Overall, it was... 
the Raw probably played a little bit better, but then switched off in the final 10 minutes and gave up two goals. The scorers for the Raw were Nathan Yoon and Nicholas Panetta, but the leading candidate was own goal. Two different own goal scorers, by the way. Yep. And then for Western Pride, it was Corey Luke, Lucas, Gabriel Awash. Yep. Yep. And Jordan Lambie scored right as time expired, pretty much. It, no, it was the 90th minute before stoppage time. Okay. It was like four minutes of stoppage time after that, and it was Pride were just absolutely going for it. Just every striker yeah. available. and think If you can remember the, Ad, the Melbourne Victory Adelaide game from two weeks ago when Adelaide scored late and went for it. Pretty it much a bit that. like that, yeah. So who stood out for you from the uh, young Raw side? Because it was pretty much a bare-boned squad with everyone occupied with the A-League. I really like the attacking third players. So that's Finn Beekhurst who played up front. You had Nathan Yoon, Oli Duncan, I think it is, and um, Panetta. The four of them were absolutely fantastic. They combined well. They moved around a lot. And there's a lot to like around those four players. Now, Ollie Duncan, he's got quite a yeah. bit of uh, good press about him because he is a New Zealand youth international. Yeah, there was. I did read some uh, stories a few weeks ago that, yeah, that he's on, on the radar as far as, you know, for New Zealand football. So he's always come with good uh, credentials. And it's good to see he's actually showing it on the pitch at a, well, I guess, a highish level. You know, for, Despite me forgetting his name briefly, then he was one of the players I was really looking forward to seeing play on Saturday night. And he looked really good out on the left hand side. He just looked like a footballer the way he moved. He created space, like he found space. He was good on the ball. And him, Panetta combined really well. So, what sort of system did they line up with? Was it that four-two-three-one we've seen with the A-League side? Yeah. Okay, and Duncan played. In Duncan was on the left um, of the attacking three, yeah. or yeah. Um, Panetta was in the middle. Yoon was out on the right, and Beekhurst was up front. But they moved around a lot, so Panetta and War. Panetta swapped out to the left. Yoon would go up front for a bit, and Beekhurst to go out wide on the right. He looked. He looked quite better on the right hand. So I think it was. A bare-bone squad, to your point, because Daniel Leck was playing right-back, and he's not a right-back. But he was filling in yeah. for Daningham, who was obviously yeah. in Newcastle. And Adam Sawyer, the team's captain, who's a midfielder, he played centre-back. So it was bare-bones, basically, what we, what we had. But I really liked the way that the front third played. And I've got to give a shout-out to Nicholas Panetta, his goal. When the highlights come out in the next couple of days through Football Queens, they go have a look. It's absolutely sensational. 30 yards out, top corner. And he, he was one of the better players as well during the, the National Youth League. So it's good to see him now converting that form. Mm from that level and bring it down to the Queensland. So It's the second year for him. It's, it's a big year for him if he's going yep. to stick around with the Raw. Well, speaking of the bare bones thing, especially in defence, so they were missing Cameron Cristani, Dane Ingham, and was Kai yeah. Rolls available? No, Kai Rolls and Conor Till didn't play either. They had a new left back in, and Aaron Reardon, who's played a bit, played centre-back, and then obviously Daniel Leckett right back, and Adam Sawyer next to Reardon, so it was... A very inexperienced back four. Well, I suppose from an overall squad perspective, that's going to be something the young Roar are going to have to deal with because they're going to have a lot of their players involved in the A-League and Champions it League. It seems though it's a lot earlier than it seems. We always say, like Scott and I, we've obviously been to you know, a number of years since the NPL started with the Roar's involvement. And normally the Roar start with a very, very strong squad early in the season. But come you know, June, July, when obviously the, the, the A-League contracts come out, the A-League youth contracts come out and whatnot, the squad then really becomes you know, a bunch of unknowns. So it seems to be happening a lot earlier. So maybe you're having that experience, you know, early in the season might actually work well you know come mid-season obviously they don't play for anything tangible like premierships or anything like that but still it's a good experience for these younger guys so what are some of the strict restrictions around this young raw squad obviously they can't qualify for the ffa cup or the finals they don't, they don't play in ffa cup qualifiers i don't think they're allowed to finish in the finals places because obviously the first place team goes to the npl final series they're not allowed to go to that i'm not sure they're allowed to make the finals it's never happened anyway based on yeah. points so but there are two, of the team that started at the weekend, apart from Yoon and Duncan, which we've mentioned, there's two other guys who started for the first time 
Lloyd Cabellian, he was the left back. He did. He was solid. He wasn't really tested. I think they knew Daniel Leck was a winger playing at right back. They tested him a lot more. He did quite well. I don't think it's a Daningham situation where they're converting. I think it's a an all hands to the deck thing. And in midfield, Rahat Akbari. He's a big, tall midfielder. Okay. He's he's one to watch. He's making his first start, and it's hard to judge him. He did okay. He didn't look out of place. That's probably the best thing you can say. And it is one thing you are going to find with a lot of these young kids is yeah. they might not be the finished product compared to some of the guys they are playing against. No, they're not. And that's the thing. These are um, adults, like, like semi-professional players at Western Pride. They're not, they're not kids they're playing against. How, how do you think the atmosphere was at AJ Kelly Park? Uh, Scott? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I was actually no, thinking... Um, I would imagine it would be been all right, but Scott I was, looking, there. I was well, looking at Adam there, but I actually meant to ask so Scott. I got there about five minutes to go in the Brisbane Premier League game, Peninsula Power, Grange Thistle, and there was an air of frustration around the place because they, they were dropping points at home. So the crowd did hang around. There was probably a good 1,500 to 2,000 people there. Which was, it was a good crowd for a Saturday night at Peninsula Power. It was a nice nice night. It wasn't cold. It was really nice. And people did hang around. It was It was a good atmosphere out there. If this is what we're going to see for Raw games in the NPL this year with Peninsula Power crowd hanging around, I think it's, it's great yeah. because the one thing the games that Cleveland lacked last year was people turning up, unfortunately. Because they were on different days to the Redlands NPL games most of the time. So, mm. well, Speaking of, we'll go through some of the other results from the NPL. Redlands are actually off to a bit of a slow start in their title defence. They went down to Olympic 6-2 on Friday night. They've been absolutely mm. just decimated by clubs down south in Victoria, just poaching players. They've been recognised off TV and because they pay quite well down there in Victoria, they've just been snapped up. Victorian clubs poaching good players from <laughs> Queensland. Where have I heard that happen before? Can you remember? <laughs> well, if you do actually go look at some of the MPL Victorian rosters, there's a whole bunch of Queenslanders well, on those teams. Well, you look at Bentley Green's, uh, Bentley Green's uh, score sheet was actually very, very interesting on the weekend. You know, they had three Queenslanders on the score sheet, so... Well, actually, that's one thing I'm noticing, though, looking around the NPL. There are a fair few players that have spent time with the young Raw squad. So yeah. it's it's interesting to see just where some of these players do wind up because obviously they can only be in the youth system while they're yeah. still youth players. Well, Western Pride had a couple on Saturday night. McHenry and Duckworth were playing, so... And Duckworth was the captain last year, if I'm remembering correctly? I don't know. Let's just say he was. Okay, go with that. <laughs> Congratulations, Joe. You might have just gotten promoted. <laughs> Some of the other results are Southwest Queensland Thunder drew 2-2 with Sunshine Coast. Strikers 4-0 over Moreton Bay. Now, Gold Coast City, Brisbane City. Scott, you left this out. Did I? Um, I'm Brisbane City won. It wasn't on the website, but I know Brisbane City did win. I know, I was just being difficult. Okay. <laughs> the last result, though, is really interesting. Northern Fury 2-0 over Far North Queensland Heat, which means... Well, this is their first win since 2015. That's actually the most excited I've ever seen you about a no, non-raw thing. No, it's it's really because North Northern they Fury were, last year they were, were ordinary yeah, four draws. Ordinary. I think across the whole season they were really they really struggled last year. I think they lost a couple of their better players to mm. FNQ Heat. So I mean, it's really good for them to get a win. Hopefully, this is a catalyst and to have a better season than they had before. The, the big game between the two North Queensland clubs yeah. is obviously that that FFA. Cup qualifier yeah. in a few months' yeah. time where they they're the last yeah. two standings. So and the last couple of years it's been it's been Heat that have yeah. actually made it through by virtue go through to the the national round. So I think you know maybe Fury might give themselves a chance this year. And that was the point I was exactly going to make. That's the next step for them. Now they got to get back onto the national stage, particularly if they want to try and get back into the expanded A League or second division or something. They've got to they got to step up here. Yep. All right. So quick run through the table. Here. You've got Olympic clearly on top with a plus seven. And they're flying Olympic. They really they're are. Scoring some goals. Yeah. Which, you know, might, might mean we have to make a few trips uh, just down the road at the moment. Yeah. All right, so uh, Brisbane Strikers up there, Brisbane City, Northern Fury, 
looking good so far. I suppose we can't really go yeah. through the table too much after two rounds. It's two games. I think strikers are also looking really good. They had a really good win over Morton Bay at the weekend. Yep. So round three fixtures Saturday: Redlands against Southwest against Thunder, Far North Queensland against Strikers. City versus North Queensland Fury, Western Pride versus Olympic FC. So that's all the Saturday games. And Sun- Sunday, it's the Coast Derby with Sunshine yeah. Coast against Gold Coast. Yes, there is one other Saturday game. But... Well, yeah, but I was going to leave that yeah. and give it a little bit of build-up. Of those games, I mean, I think the West, the um, yeah. FNQ Strikers game is really interesting. Travelling up to Cairns is a difficult trip for a lot of teams. And it's still hot up there as well. So mm. And wet, I'm guessing, as yeah. well. Which uh, I think I remember from living up there last year. That'll be fun to run around in. Lots of moths and... <laughs> yeah. Everything. So then we've got uh, Morton Bay United against the Raw Youth, Saturday 7.15 at Walter Park in Albany Creek. Hopefully yeah. this will be a good game. Well, it's, for a lot of people, this is one of the few games that's in Brisbane. Mm. Yeah, like I said, it's, yeah. that's the, the local game for me, so I will more than likely be there. Because so. people were disappointed so that the Olympic don't... game clashed with the A-League and all the home games are at Peninsula. This is one of the, a game in Brisbane. Okay, Albany Creek's not the easiest place to get to, but it's in the city of Brisbane, so... All right, so quick run through the Brisbane Premier League as well, because yep. that is obviously another top-tier local league going on right now. Lions FC 3-2 over Albany Creek. I suppose that would be their first real test of the season as well. And they're abs- uh, we talked about a couple of teams, Olympic fine flying. Yep. Lions are absolutely flying at the moment. Easts 1-0 over Capalabar. Holland Park 2-1 over Rochdale. Mitchie 2-1 over Logan Lightning. Penpower drew 1-1 with Grange Thistle, as you mentioned. And Ipswich Knights 3-2 over Souths United. I caught the last five minutes of the Peninsula game. They they were pushing for the winner. It's just, it just didn't wasn't happening for them. And speaking to a couple of people up there, they it just wasn't happening for them on the night. All right, so that's going to do it for segment two of the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back. It's the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back to segment three of the Brisbane Football Review here in the Switch 1197 studios for the Outside 90 Fan Network. James Scott and Adam with you today, and we're going to lead off segment three with some breaking news. This has come out in the Raw's members' mail. So, uh, Raw NPL, which we were just talking about before, their game on March 25th against Southwest Queensland Thunder is now going to be the curtain raiser for the Melbourne Victory home game. Kickoff will be about 4.10pm, and I'm guessing the gates will open about, what, 4.07? Yeah, not, when it was double, definitely league doubleheaders, I opened about 10 minutes beforehand by speed to get in, but... Yeah, Adam, good move. I think it's an excellent move. Um, I think Mark Kingsman, anyone that's involved in that, I think should be congratulated. That it's good to see that you now the, the MPL guys actually get a run on Suncorp. You know, and that's that's a main thing. So, well, well done to the club. And people will be complaining they haven't been able to see the young raw play games lately, lately because they're up at Redcliffe. This is a perfect opportunity to get down and have a, have a look. There's some tremendous talent in this side. Because it probably will be the only time they actually do have the curtain raiser there. Because yeah. I think the next two home games is Sunday afternoon and Sunday night. Yeah. So we probably won't be seeing any other games at Suncorp. Probably not. It's, I think it's the first ever in the A-League to have an NPL game as a curtain raiser, so it's fantastic. I'm actually excited about that. Yeah. That'll yeah. be good. No, I think it's good. All right, and then, uh, so segment three, we're going to talk about some of the news and stuff that's been going on the last little while. Scott, Algarve Cup with the Matildas. Yeah, so the Matildas are over in 
forward to it at the moment. They've played two games so far. 1-0 lost to Sweden in the opening game. Then they beat... Netherlands. Netherlands, three, three goals too. Emily Gielnick with some fantastic goals. From a, one direct from a corner and one from a free kick, almost the same spot. They were fantastic strikes. Both down the left side, yeah. right in the corner pretty much. And Look, I'm, I'm going to say the keeper probably yeah. could have done a little bit better saving both of those, but give Gielnick credit for the two wonderful strikes. And there are some other raw players over there, including Katrina Gori, who's made her 50th appearance for the Matildas in that Netherlands game. So congratulations to Katrina. Yeah, that's a really good achievement as well, yeah. considering... That, yeah, that's... 50 games to your country, I think, is a, yeah. a decent achievement. So. And she, it's not like she's just been sort of along for the ride as well. She's had a pretty One big... One of the key players in that midfield, yeah. Yeah, so even better. And good story for the Raw. And also a good story came out Saturday from SBS's David Lewis linking John Aloisi to a move to Adelaide United next season for a reported $500,000 offer due to reported uncertainty over the Raw's financial stats. What was your first reaction when you heard this? Uh, here we go again. <laughs> no, just I, I was, that was in reference to the financial thing, and that was the one thing that the reporter was talking about is that Aloisi was all, is all set to stay, other than he doesn't want any more financial stuff off the field to affect his off season and preseason, which is a completely understandable. Yeah. If, there, if there's any truth in the matter, if there's yeah. any truth in the fact that there's off field situations, it would make sense that he'd be looking at office. And Adelaide's a logical place for where you would, it's a logical link to make because Gear Moore is expected to be moving on. John Lewis is from Adelaide. It's, a, it's an easy link to make, and it sounds like it's absolutely wrong given the, the Adelaide chairman called it absolute BS. Craig Moore called the reporter out on social yeah, media saying, went, do some research and contact the club. Yeah. And I, I think when, when you got two, both, both entities coming out so strongly, I mean, so strongly, you got to think, you know what, this is just all... You know, I, I'd be surprised if, if there was any truth in it. Yeah. It might have been, you know, someone said or mentioned, you know, a rumour mill best, but yeah, for both, for both parties to come out so... Unanimously and say, no, this is this is this is crap. And it had you know. to be because Adelaide yep. United still have Gilmore under contract for next year, even though we all assume he's leaving. It's not official, and the Roar have got a massive amount of games coming, out, which are vitally important. And you don't want any distractions off the field. Well, you don't like uh, a repeat of what happened with Ange Postecoglou after the Perth oh, Grand right. Final, where he left two days later, and there was still Champions League to worry that about. That and the uh, two weeks beforehand, is he staying? Is he going? Even though he was, he had made his mind up, he was going. It was a circus. Yeah. It was probably a massive distraction of that Champions League game, which was in grand final week. It was a bigger story as Ange staying or going than that game was. And Scott, you actually had a really good way for the Raw to possibly put this story to bed. Look, there's 10 days off now. We'll sit down. Let's see if we can get the, get the deal done. If, the, if he's staying, let's get it announced. Because if I do it's, actually, if, it's, yeah. if it's done, let's just announce it and get it over with. And just sort of looking at the possible flow and effect of Aloisi re-signing, you could get players like McLaren who that could yeah. sort of swing in one way or the other. I would think so. I think, yeah, if uncertainty of the coach, a lot of these players that we're thinking, oh, could they go? I think it's you change it could to will go because I, I can't see, you know, a Jamie McLaren who seems to have options elsewhere, it'd be A-League, be it overseas, sticking around because they don't know who the coach is. You've got to remember, it was actually Jamie McLaren, the reason why he came to the Raw was a lot to do with John Alwissi. So Good strike to break that link. From. Yeah, break that link. I think he like, he's, you know, Odds on to go. And if you look at who has re-signed, it's Jade North and Matt Mackay. They're two guys you would expect to stay no matter who the coach is. Yeah. And I suppose Christensen as well. But you expect those sort of guys to stay they're, around. They're, it's they're, all, like they're Mac- all professionals. It's know, the they're... McLarens, etc., who are off contract that you're not sure, depending on who's the coach. So mm. if they can get this sorted out and just put it, put this to bed once and for all, it'd be fantastic if we can get that done the next week. Absolutely. Well, th- now's the time to do it. And hopefully the dominoes start to fall into place. And of course, knowing our luck with breaking news, so 
what do you think, Tuesday, 10 o'clock, that's when the story's going to break about Aloisi either like re-signing that, yeah. or going? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, so someone will bring us back into the studio. So, oh. <laughs> Well, if we have to, I suppose. Yeah. All right, so earlier today, Southern Sydney submitted an official bid to become the 11th A-League franchise. The World Game FC featuring Les Murray and Craig Foster. <laughs> Well, I suppose... Happy retirement for Les Murray. <laughs> well, I suppose if you are going to have a football yeah. mind behind it, Les Murray uh, is one of those... It's, in all seriousness, yeah. yeah. Like, he, he, as far as you know, football authorities, you know, it's not, that's not actually linked to the... You know, Les Murray's one of the most well-known. He's been involved so. FIFA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or whatever that's worth. And apparently they've got... I think it's... I saw 12 million or 11 million already guaranteed and secured to prove to the FFA that they're serious. Do you give this side any hope of, I suppose, yeah. getting in as early as next season? No, but they'll be one of the next expansion teams. It's that Sutherland Shire is supposed to be the biggest junior base in the country for players that are registered to play. So I think it makes sense to put a team somewhere down there. And then you've obviously got guys like Les Murray and Craig Foster backing it, along with a Chinese investor. I think they're all set to be one of the next couple of teams in. And as we've talked about in the last few weeks, Fox Sports are going to have a say in the next side. And you're adding essentially six more Sydney derbies, which... Yeah. You know, we were sick at three at this and year, 20, so that can only and go well. 27 to 30 games in the Sydney market as well. That's the other thing. Not just the derbies. You've got their yeah. games against other teams, which will be high rating. So I suppose that'll be good. And then if that is the case, that just leaves you with one more spot to go. And by all reports, they're still keen on a second Brisbane side. But uh, there's, a ma- there's a sports drink manufacturer that wants an A-League license as well. Maybe that might be a good fit. We might get to that in segment four. Yeah. But uh, so... With no game to preview, we're just going to, sort of, going to sort of roll off on a few other stories that have taken our fancy over the last well, few weeks. Well, this came from a game, basically. The This big story, I think you're getting to it now, aren't you? The Fill me in here. Are, you going, are you going to the um, the off-field the off around the game story? About the independent A-League? Yes. Yes. This basically all stemmed from it. It stemmed from an a, from a... From a raw game, though. Because We're really of... on the same page today. Yeah. We haven't totally thrown this segment together in the last 10 no, minutes. It, it did all stem from a, from the raw game against Ulsan last week where the Fox Sports guys went on a massive rant. Okay, well, let's start off with the salary cap. Yeah. Do we need it, Adam? Uh, look, you know, I've actually discussed with a few people. I, I, I used to be in the camp of, yes, we do, but there needs to be massive reform. But I'm starting to think, you know what, maybe, maybe that, you know, no. Maybe at the end of the day, it should be sink or swim. You know what? If you're if you're an organised club, you know you you should be like I said. If you remove the if you use salary cap, it also has to come with the independent A League, because you can't have unlimited funds to spend on players, but then expect a handout from the FFA through the grant system every year. It's basically to say, all right, the FFA need to get to a point where they say simply, all right, you want the salary cap gone, fine. You you be on your own. Don't don't come to us wanting money. You know what? You are the sink or swim in a, in a in a capitalist market, and I think that's that's the only way I think it works. Now, but for me, for the integrity of the competition, as much as it's unpopular, I think you know you, you you do need it because at the end of the day, you need that level playing field, but with massive reform. It's like the seventeen yeah. year old that moves out of home and still asks his parents to pay rent, food, bills. And that's, poten- that's and that's potentially yeah. and that's a, that's a sort of popular stuff that you know, Mark Bosich I think fails to oh, grant. Stop. On that is that you know what you can't have you can't have your cake and eat it. You either have an independent A League where every club is responsible for their own finances. If they go broke, they go broke, you know, for for whatever reason. Or they stick within the rules of the A League where they basically give a give them you know, a grant every year to, to fund fund their players and their operations. Boz is living in a fantasy land, I think. But I do think we need we may not need the salary cap. We do need something to regulate the costs. And I do have an. I know you're dying to say something, James. I've got, I do have an example of something we can do. 
But go ahead. No, you've been waiting okay. for about two minutes, so go ahead. Okay, so I still remember it was on the train on the way down to one of the Raw's Asian Champions League games on the Gold Coast. I heard Mike Cockrell have a really good idea here talking about what to do with the uh, salary cap and sort of copying off what they do with the NBA and whatnot, where there's a luxury tax on team spending over the limit. And I feel yeah. like that would be the right way to do You've it. You've so- just stolen exactly yeah. what I was going to suggest. I've got here, we can use the luxury tax. No yeah. salary cap, but... When you're spending over a certain amount, example, $5 million, you charge luxury tax. So in baseball, the first time offenders, 17.5%, second time's 30, third time is 40, and after that's 50%. And if that, so that money allows gets... teams like, yeah. say, the New York Yankees, no, no, if they want to go and buy the best players every year, they, they pay for it. But the and, one thing that would also be yeah. quite interesting is how far over the cap can you realistically yeah. go? Because... Like, eventually the players are going to say, well, yeah, okay, you're going to pay me $3 million per year, but I could get that and be playing at a higher level in Europe. Well, this is the, that's another thing, but what, what this would do is it would allow clubs who want to spend a bit more money to do so. And what you've got to do is you've got to, you can't allow the, the small teams to just collect, because like, the luxury tax goes back to the league and gets distributed in the States. You can't have that happening in the A-League, given it's like the Mariners and Wellington and the rest of them not improving their payroll. They've got to use that money to go and buy some players of their own. But that's where you still need a salary yeah. floor where you say, all right, so yeah. say the tax amount is $5 million. Yeah. Teams still have to spend, say, two point five. And this is working in the States. Well, because yes, the Yankees spend a whole bunch of money, but... They don't win every year. No, you've seen last year a small market team like the Kansas City Royals. They've won one World Series and they made it to another one as a... But the thing is, they've also got like a national draft. That's another equalization measure that they have that we don't have in this country. So I've got another solution for that. Transfer fees between A-League clubs? No. Yes. Well, that was oh, my suggestion. Yeah, was no. say, yes. But that's where you get, you know, if you want clubs mm. like Central Coast and even, well, Brisbane's a yeah. feeder club for the two Victorian yeah. ones, where if they yeah. want to sort of fill in the gaps, you know, they can actually collect transfer fees yeah. when players go down to Melbourne. You can do that if you want, but the other thing you can do is the, the national draft in the States example is like youth players coming into the system, right? Basically, so what you can do is, all right, so we'll have 23-player squads, but you've got to have a minimum of five players who are developed in your academy from 18 to 21, the Premier League rule. So would you've that be develop- in the 23? Yes, you've got to have a minimum of five developed from 18 to 21 in your squad. That's the way they do it in Europe. So let's bring that here as well. You want to be like Europe? Let's copy that rule as well. That'll immediately force every club to invest in their youth development. Because yep. you know you've got to have it. You've got to have five. And you don't want players at the end. Do you think you want players who are, who are and, going to con- contribute? And the good news is it looks like that a lot of the A-League clubs are now starting to see the importance of an academy. You know, yeah. Like I said, it, most, most recently in Brisbane Roar's you know, initiative with with uh, football Queensland, you know the, the school of excellence, whatever it's called. So it's obvious it's obviously that that whole youth driven thing. And look, yeah. you look at the players that come through the raw. You now a lot of them are produced yeah. by the raw, but let's just hope they stick around. That they don't get to a point where then they they go to Melbourne or something like that. Because the bottom line is, I've got no problem with getting rid of the salary cap. I do have a problem yeah. if we just get rid of it and it's an open market That's... system, and you just see the Sydney FCs, the Melbourne Victories, the Melbourne Seas buying it and winning it every single year. That's terrible for the A League because if you've got teams in Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, etc., who are seriously uncompetitive. People aren't going to go. They're going to go and spend their summers watching the cricket. They're going to go and watch the tennis. They're going to go to the beach. They're going to do anything else but go to the games because if it's not competitive, people are not, aren't going to go. That's what we've seen. You've and got to be competitive. A, and that's an Australian problem. That's not, like I said, in Europe, you can yeah. make every case when you've got Champions League, when you've got Europa League, you've got the relegation survival yeah. thing. That, that That's a European thing. Here in Australia, we won't tolerate it. Like I said, when, when teams are struggling, people walk. They go yeah. They go watch other things. They go support the other clubs. You've so, got your passionate yeah. support, which is basically what we're seeing and then when you're going well you get the bandwagon jump on when you're not going well you don't get it and so the, you've got to be competitive every few years to get that revenue from the bandwagon and the one thing that does kind of stand out is like it's the downside of us having a summer league here in australia where 
like you look around the country, you know, Brisbane, you know, you can spend the day at the beach, you know, go down yeah. to the Gold Coast or up to the Sunshine Coast for the day and go, uh, I could come back to, for yeah. the 6.45 Saturday kickoff and, or make a weekend and of it. And this brings it back to what are the true competitors for the Raw. It's not just all the sport teams, it's any form of discretionary income spending, anything. You can go to the movie, you can go to the beach, you can go on holiday, you can go anywhere. Look, I think I think you point on a good point, James. And this is the I think oh, for really? me the key. You can. <laughs> the, I think that the key at all, and I think it's the one thing that the FFA need to answer to themselves, to the stakeholders, whoever, is football in this country. Are we a summer sport or are we a winter sport? Because you can't have this as far as prom- like everything, promotion, relegation, the lot. If you've got the A League playing in summer, but you've got all your grassroots and development playing winter, how on earth? And we're not and we're not in a position where we can be a twelve month sport. So how on earth? You know, can can this all these pathways line up? We either we either we take a shot, and we take on the, the football codes in winter, or we move everything to summer. It's going to happen everything to summer, That's, just because. Yep. We, I don't think the game would thrive with playing against the AFL, the rugby league, and rugby every week, and all that. Especially stadium, with ground availability. Yeah, yes. ground availability is a big one. So you'd have to move all the juniors yep. to summer. But then, but then, do you then lose, would you lose kids to to the sports like cricket or basketball, the other as other or sports? summer holidays? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it's possible. But like I said, that, that, that was. Well, the, I don't think it's the right the, answer. You can it. move the the senior MPL and stuff. So the kids can yeah. play in winter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, the kids can stay playing with the winter if they like. You've got to bring the seniors, like the adult the, leagues, to the summer. That's what you needs, really need to bring. There needs to be massive alignment, and then, then there's this, the other question as well, because obviously the the one thing that you know, obviously that Rudin and Bosnich were going on about yeah. was about about our competitors in Asia. Well, then do we need to be have our season, our A League season, aligned with the Chinese Super League, with J League, with K League? Because, like I said, at the moment it's all it's bad, it's terrible that we're getting beaten up now by. These clubs. They're being massively overreactionary, and they and they said they're supposed to be two weeks into their season. We're at the back end of our season. What would happen in June, or worse, if we get a team through the quarterfinals? I don't think it's going to happen. But you know, but we're this supposedly in season. Like there's like everything is out of whack at the moment. And until the FFA either decide what is best for the game, you know, either you know confederately or at least locally. We're not going to get anywhere. For me, it kind of feels like mm. we need we need to stay in summer just purely because you've got the novelty of Big Bash cricket, or as Scott calls it. Hit and giggle. But And then you've also got, look, the Australian Open, which is still a major event, but it's two weeks. You've got to stay in summer because, as we've said, like as much as we would love to think that football is the number one sport in Australia like it is in the rest of the world... Participation-wise it is, but not, but not viewership. Professionally, mm. it would get absolutely slaughtered. Like, you give... Like, consider this, so... Just in Suncorp yeah. Stadium alone right now, you've got the Brisbane Broncos that have just started. Who? Qu- the Queensland Who? Reds that have just started. <laughs> so who was that first one? And Scott calls AFL fans ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got two clubs right there. So how many weekends are you going to yeah. wind up with Raw fans complaining about yeah. a shoddy pitch because Friday night you've got rugby league guys running around. Yeah. Saturday it's you've got the big rugby that, union scrub. It's not just that. You look at the what would the A-League rights be worth to a, a broadcaster when you've already got other... Other football games on it a week. I mean, the value of it is it's in summer and it's content. That's the value of it. Yeah, yeah like so, I, I'd, I would hate to imagine where where it would actually end up on Fox Sports because in winter, considering that you know you got a dedicated rugby league channel, your dedicated rugby uh, AFL channel, be in. Yeah, <laughs> well, it, look, look, that, it may, that may be that may be the answer to it, or maybe it shouldn't be Fox Sports. Maybe it should be be in that, that if if we were to do that, but that I could think, be their only hope. Yeah. But and that's the other thing, like you don't want the A League getting buried the way it could because mm. they could wind up on that channel five oh seven or whatever because they've got six other games yeah. which are going to bring in a lot more viewers. I think the bottom line is I think we can to get back to the start, we can tweak the salary cap. There's it has to be it ha- oh, no, yeah, that. It does have to be tweaked. And I do think a luxury tax idea that would work. It would allow teams who want to go and spend more money to do so. 
it would then keep the league somewhat competitive because you would, they wouldn't be able to go so far. Because if you're over the cap by two million, then you luxury tax fees would be astronomical, right? So yeah. basically, it's going to it'll keep things competitive and allow teams to spend. I think that's the way to go. And with the Champions League thing, I think we've just got to have to accept that. Adelaide and the Wanderers were never, ever going to do anything in this competition because Adelaide's been woeful and the Wanderers are lacking a striker. Yep. With the Raw, they're in the middle of a horrendous... were in the middle of a horrendous run of fixtures every three days. Let's see what it's like from here. Let's see how the Raw go over in, in Cashmere with a 10-day break. And then at home, they've got a pretty clear run from here as well. Not, not as arduous from here out. So let's see how it goes. Yep. All right. Well, we're going to talk about the Champions League and a whole lot more in segment four. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back. It's the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back to segment four of the Brisbane Football Review here in the Switch 1197 studios for the Outside 90 Fan Network. James Scott and Adam with you here for segment four and we don't actually have a game to preview so we've asked some of our fans on uh, social media to come through and come through they did. Scott, yeah. before we do that though, how can people get in touch with us on social media? Oh right, the plug, sorry. So we've got <laughs> facebook.com. Yeah, Facebook, Brisbane Football Review on on Facebook, Twitter at Raw Review. You can listen to us on Switch 1197. We, I was at their barbecue on Saturday. It went quite well, James. You'll be glad to know. Yep, and we're actually on Switch uh, 10 a.m. every Saturday morning. Yep. So As opposed can, to 10 a.m. every Saturday night. Yeah, you can listen to us Switch on 10 a.m. You've also got podcast audio room and iTunes and, just, and home games, James. You can talk to James with fan games as well. That's right. So we've got three more uh, A-League home games to go. So I'd love to get as many people as possible coming out. So strange to hear that. Season feels like it just started. I know. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Which is why the podcast recording takes forever. <laughs> yeah, where's that? Where's the drum? <laughs> All right. So we've got. Uh, so we're going to do basically a mailbag for segment four in place of previews. And we're going to lead off with something that we've teased a little bit, where the Red Bull franchise, which has got teams in a few major leagues around the world, mm-hmm. they're possibly looking at investing in an A League club. So from a raw perspective, would you take Red Bull over the backeries, Adam? Personally. I, I would because I think at the end of the day, it's stability, it's a name, but I can tell you, it will absolutely drive the traditionals nuts. And, that, I, and I've, I've yeah. had the argument several years ago, actually. You've had it with but, me a few weeks ago. Thanks, game. Brett Nickel, yeah. for that question, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, no, like I said, I, I think, look, from, a, from if you take away all the emotional, I think it would be a good call, but I think you're going to have you're gonna have a hard time, especially, especially a lot of the gripes at the moment in Bundesliga where uh, Red Bull Leipzig are not the most popular club. In, in Germany, and that's a, that's a competition that featuring Bayern Munich. So, yeah, so this I think there'll the, be a lot of resistance. To Adam's point, this is the thing. When Red Bull come into a team, they change the logo to make it look like their product logo. They change the name. They change the colours. They change the whole identity of the club basically overnight. And that's one of the problems I've found Leipzig have had. I think Red Bull Salzburg's another one that have that problem. I think New York Red Bulls was a startup franchise, so that didn't matter. And no. I think that's seen, maybe they've learned that lesson the hard way with the Red Bull football franchise thing because they predict they sound like they want 
a new team. They don't want to take over a current team. They want to form a new one. And I, th- I think if it, it is a new team, new identity and all that, then, you know, well, yeah, I think it's a bit. If you, if you want, you know, if Red Bull come in and try, and, and like I said, we say Red Bull Brisbane, I think you're going to get a lot of, you know, there's going to be a lot of griping on that. And look, and they're not unjustifiable either. Mm. To your point, though, I think I'll take almost everyone over the back of it. See, for me, I'm not totally against it. I kind of feel like it would be, it would take some getting used to. It would to have it. its plus points, its minus points, really. I mean, you change identity, but the, the money they would pour into the club, you maybe they would help fund a new stadium or something. Maybe you would get better players. Who knows? And, well, again, if, you know, some of those things we were talking about in the last segment with, you know... Sorry, news... more high-profile marquee players was what I meant. Sorry. Yeah, but, but also, you know, they could bring in more players. Yeah. But you're right. I do wonder, the Orange is slowly starting to, you know, seep in with the general public here in Brisbane, but... Do you really want to go and change the club's identity? Where would it? It kind of feels like it would just yeah. be throwing away the last twelve years, and I'm not sure. The color yeah. orange and the word raw are the only things associated from day one, really. If you're changing both of those, it's just it's a completely different club to the one that was formed in 2005, and a lot that would that point annoy a lot of people. No, I think it'd be no. I think no, it would cut the cord. I think people would just not support the club, and yeah, you know, that's and that's. Look, if we were a massive club where you know we got waiting lists for memberships, that'd be one thing. But you know what? In our small base at the moment, you, you've got to have every person. This I got a feeling it'd be too drastic. Even though personally I would like it, I think yeah, it'd be just way too drastic. I think it would hurt more than help. Yeah, well, I suppose that answers the question. Speaking of Reds, Peter Clark asks: With the popularity of Rangers in Australian politics, should Corey Brown be taking a tilted a seat in federal parliament? <laughs> popularity. Yeah, no, it's an I'm issue. Also, no, I'll answer, the, look, I'll answer the question with no serious thoughts over it. The politicians talk too much hot air for Corey Brown to succeed. He's, he's far too far too honest and good to be a politician, James. That's true. Far too good a, far too good a person to be a politician given some of the some of the politicians at the moment. Definitely. All right, so we've got a few questions on the Aloisi issue. So David Stewart, Jacob Connor, and Raphael Berman, they all are well, we'll start with David. Is John Aloisi doing a good enough job as a raw manager? Do I need to sit down for this, Adam? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> to, to be honest, I think I think you know, he's doing just enough. Like at the end of the day, look, you know, you take away personal, personality side, and like there's a certain other you know Premier League club where I think the the conduct and you know the, I guess the personality of the manager is more important than the results. But I think at the end of the day, he gets us to where we we want to be, and I think that's good enough. I think he's doing yeah. a pretty good job, all things considered. Where he could very easily have lost his entire squad yeah. two two weeks after yeah. walking onto the job. And he's been able to not only keep them around, but keep them competitive. And, okay, yeah, while there still are some shortcomings, I suppose, in his squad management and tactics, as you would get with someone who's still developing as a manager, he's doing a pretty good job. Yeah, results are a tick. Style of play is regressed from what we've seen previously, but it's not that bad. Youth development, for me, is an issue. I think it's, apart from the last month, it's not been the best. So there's reasons, but I think on the whole... Results are the most important thing, and I think you, you have to say he's done a good job. I mean, third place in the A-League last year, qualified for Asia, won the playoff through into the Champions League, could potentially finish the top four again here. He's, he's done a good job. Like I said, I, I, one, one, one final point on that that I'd like to make is the fact is that, you know, if if we were battling for sixth, seventh, eighth, then I'd say I'd start calling a question saying, you know what, is this time up? But, you know, while we're safely in the four, it looks like we're playing finals football I think that's enough. I think I, I don't think anyone that's actually serious and realistic would, would actually suggest that you now we should be winning the competition. But and, I think yeah. I think he's you know, a pass mark. And to, to your point, given what he's been, what we've been through off off the field, to be in the position we are is fantastic. But I kind of feel like over the next probably two years, whoever is manager, whether it's Aloisi or somebody else, 
they've got a real tough task it's in front of them. It's going to be time to regenerate, isn't it? Because I think in two years, you're probably going to find Broich is gone. Mackay is gone. Yeah, I'll just give Scott a minute to get a tissue yeah. and wipe away those tears. Broich, Mackay, I would say Jade North, Theo. You might even see guys like Borello gone overseas, for example. Yeah. So Mc- did... McLaren is nowhere. I don't think we'll see. No, past, McLaren yeah. probably won't be here at that point. You could quite possibly be looking at an entirely new starting 11 two years from today. Yeah. And like... that's that's the thing. This decision now that the Raw have to make about the new manager, we think it's probably going to be Aloisi, but... You need someone that's going to be provide a little bit of stability. The to put that team together in two years' time. And that does also extend to the football department with Craig Moore, who was the subject of advances from Rangers, I believe. That sounds about as serious as the Adelaide Aloisi stuff is. But that's the thing. I feel like these guys have spent the last almost two seasons building something here. And I believe Aloisi had some comments today, which I saw on Outside90.com. I think they're from his press conference yesterday. Okay, well, he basically said he's got unfinished business here. And... If he is totally serious about that, you know, like Andrew said, he wanted to turn the Roar into an Asian football powerhouse. <laughs> um, you know, if he is going to stick around, he's got, it's not going to be easy for him. And it's going to be a real good test of what he is. It's going to need to be some patience because Alois, he took over a team that was pretty pretty close to being finished. He's added to it. Guys like Tommy Orr. There's another one probably won't be here in two years, Tommy Orr. But he's, he inherited a team which was close. Now we've got to see if he can regenerate that team. It'll be interesting to see. Absolutely. Uh, all right, so Jacob Connor, if Aloisi does depart at season end, we've already kind of answered this, how big of a loss is it? It's a, it is a loss, no doubt about that. I mean, because you yep. need to replace a manager. Yep. And who would be a good and reasonable replacement? Well, my suggestion over the weekend of Luis Enrique from Barcelona might, have got, <laughs> might not be reasonable, not, okay, but... Not a gear more. That's the other thing. People say, oh, we'll swap with Adelaide, take gear more. I just, I don't want to see that. I think the guy that the Raw almost signed two years ago... Ramon mm, Tribulex right. from Auckland City. I think he would he would be a fantastic choice. He's the sort of manager who plays the way the Raw traditionally play. I think he would be a great choice. Look, I'd, I'd almost go as far as you know. Maybe if if it's two years time and we we're in a rebuilding phase, you know, give a give a you know a, a young sort of you know, MPL coach that's come through. You know, maybe you know. I'll I think of one. That's the thing. Well, Rudan. That Mark, no. Mark Rudin. Arthur Pappas has just gone over to um has gone over to Saudi Arabia. Maybe in two years time he'll be available with experience. Like. I think there are guys, I think, you know, maybe looking outside square, we don't want to be going down the role of normal, you know, Miron Blyberg slash Frank Farina sort of slash, you know, Ernie Merrick sort of round. Yeah. Arsene yeah. Wenger. Scott Miller put his available. name up today. The former Newcastle coach, he said he wants to get back in there. Like, that, would be a, that would be a choice I would steer clear of. That kind of coach, I wouldn't go near. No, you kind of want someone that's got a little bit of a background uh, behind him. Approach, yeah. Because in the way the Raw play as well, I know it's ingrained now given everyone says it's from the way Ange played attacking football. We've played attacking football since day one. We don't want to change that. I mean, Aloisi... Ange just made it better. No, yeah, exactly. But Aloisi's kind of gone away from that more counter-attacking style and there's been a bit of pushback from that from some segments of the fan base. You want a, a coach who plays attacking football. That's one of the most important things. If we are looking for a new coach to be looking for. But I suppose that also does come back to the question about Aloisi's management is yeah. if he's going to wind up regenerating the Raw, is he going to wind up signing players that are more capable of playing on that counter-attacking style, or is he going to try and be, you know, Ange version 4.0 or whatever? If he stays around another couple of years, he, he's got free range to do what he yep. likes. If you make the decision to keep him, you know the way he plays, then he's, he recruits what he needs. Well, one suggestion from Raphael Berman. If the Aloisis do leave, is it possible to have Thomas Broich as a player coach next year, and would that work? I would say, quite frankly, it, it's certainly possible, but I wouldn't want Broich as the leading man basically, as the player coach, because uh, we'll take a look at Aloisi with Melbourne, Hart, City, yep. Suburb, or whatever they were at the time. It, that didn't work, because as much as Aloisi was great as a player, 
how he didn't have that background in management yet. Well, that that's the one thing uh, I'd, I'd like to look more into about what actually, if any, Thomas Broach having you know at this very point in time, what qualifications he has because I don't think. I don't think this is you now a case of where you know, even at the A League you'd hope that you know you'd have a standard where you know, you've got professional coaches that have the relevant badges to go and look and that's look I'm sure Thomas Broge at one point in his career if everything goes well he'll be he could be a great coach but if we're talking about 2017 18 or 2018 19 I think it's a bit too I think he needs yeah. to go he actually needs probably need to go away it's too soon isn't it yeah he probably needs yeah. to even leave you know leave the country for a couple of years if if he won't want to make Australia home. Now, he probably needs to leave, you know, or at least go get experience elsewhere, then come back and bring it in. But to make him a play coach, yeah, I'm, I'm not liking it. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's every man's opinion. If he's I'm, with the Raw next year, for me, it should be as a player, even if yeah. it's just in a part-time. Be if, it, a if it's an assistant coach, it's a different story. But as the head coach, no. I don't know in the past he's talked about potentially being a youth coach, for example. So that might be what he's more interested in. But we, and we have seen coaches transition. I know Ruben Zakovic is a coach over in Perth's youth team, and there's plenty of other examples. So... It's not impossible to go straight into coaching at like that level, but that's not A-League head coaching level. Yeah. Mm. Well, if he came yeah. in and took over the Raw's NPL National Youth League side... Yeah. Alleluia. That'd be great. Nothing yeah. against the guy they've got there right yeah. now. But... Sorry, James Robinson. <laughs> well, James Robinson is a former you know, A-League player, yeah. so look, that's, that, that shows... But maybe that, Robinson know... can step up to be an assistant on the A-League style. He well, also that's... had experience yeah. at the NPL level before he got the job mm. with the young Raw, though, as well. But... Oh, look, there are way worse examples yeah. a young player could have than Thomas Broich, yeah, especially with what he's done in Brisbane. Yeah. Although his apparent disdain for training might not be the best message. <laughs> <laughs> he's that good, he can do what he likes. Mm. All right, so uh, Jamie McLaren. Josh Mansfield asked, how many goals does he need before people get off his back? Is 33 in two seasons not quite enough? I mentioned this earlier in the show. It's the narrative around him, right? Is, is he staying? Is he going? Is he in form, out of form? I think that sort of stuff has really gotten to it this year. And a lot, it's, the other thing is half of his goals have come from penalties as well, which makes it look like he's not scoring as many goals because they're penalties and people overlook them. 14 goals, I think he's the third or fourth top scorer in the league this year. He's, he's doing really well. Whether we keep him or not from here, who knows, but he's, he's doing well. And it runs a, his general game play is better. I feel, yeah, I feel like in the last month and a half, his play has yeah. really, really stepped up. And look, 33 goals in two seasons, phenomenal return, but... For me, I always go back to yeah. how many chances has he missed this season compared to what he would have scored last and that, season. And I think that is why the, 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 the sort of, I guess, you know, the, quite the boo boys, whatever they, they sort of call them that, it's always going to find that fault in Jay McLaren. You, you add the uncertainty of his future. I think you all, it doesn't matter if he scores you know, 20 goals again this season. There's always going to be people questioning you know, his that because, like I said, he is scoring a lot of penalties. He's, so the statistics are good. But the chances that he, as a frontline, you know, almost marquee, like striker or the demands for that marquee money through his agent is, is what really, really sort of you know, has people questioning you know, his, his true ability. Well, and the other thing also, like I just go back to that first Sydney FC game, Maroon Saturday, where he had Ridiculous two, name. <laughs> two really, you know, decent chances to win the game for yeah. the Raw and save us a whole bunch of talk about Sydney FC being yeah. invincible. But, you know, they both sort of, rolled just a little bit wide and they weren't quite there. And he had another chance, I believe it was in Perth, in a game that the Raw drew oh, two one-on-one. Yeah, one the one-on-one yeah. one on one where, look, as he keeps developing as a striker, yeah. I think he will learn to bury that chance. But in that time, you've kind of got to look at it and go, could he score more? It's to Adam's point, it's about his off-field situations, the end of people, and also expectations. He scored 20 goals last year, was A-League Young Player of the Year, became a national team player. People expect, right, this guy's going to now... Score another 20 goals and lead the Raw to top two in grand final potential. That's what people expect at the start of the year. 
He hasn't quite delivered that, but he's well on the way to getting somewhere close to 20 goals again. I think he's doing doing a fine job. If you are sort of looking at it, I suppose, from a grading perspective, where last year he was A-plus throughout the season, yeah. you know, consistent goal scoring. It's more t- a solid B now, isn't it? Yeah, B, yeah. B minus. Yep, yeah. that's some. Where he's still getting chances, but he's not quite as, I suppose, lethal as he yeah. could have been. Look, I, at the end of the day, I'd say, look, he's, he's still our number one striker. He still produced the goals, and you still have him pick him first every time to lead the line. It's just that, yeah, the, I guess the expectation from last year and him sort of not really going on with it, I think... Maybe why is people just won't leave him alone. So one last quick point as well. Don't underestimate the amount of work rate he's put into this schedule as well. The amount of sprints he makes during games. It's no wonder he's starting to look fatigued in some of these games. Mm. And I suppose if you do happen to get to Suncorp Stadium to watch a game, you can see just how many sprints yeah. he is actually making. Because like I thought Newcastle, that was probably the least tightly he's been marked in God knows mm. how long. But yeah. he, he finally got a little bit of space. And look what he was able to do with it. I don't know why Newcastle decided not to just stick their two centre defenders on. That's the other point. Line. He's been far more tightly marked this year, hasn't he? Well, because yeah. everyone's around yep. him. But again, that's something that is part of the but career he, progression of a striker. He needs to, like I said, he, he got under the radar a bit last year. He needs to step up at that thing and be able to counteract. So, look, as I said, you know, these are all sort of minor criticisms, you know, but uh, like I said, if he wants to develop the play that we hope he is, he's got to take on board and lift. And... I suppose just one, the other uh, McLaren question we got was from Kim Gibson, who says, does anyone know for certain where Jamie McLaren will be at season's end? I know he's going to be playing yeah. football. Yeah, I reckon he knows where, what he's doing. I reckon his agent knows what he's doing, and that's probably about it. I don't know. I'm, unless he's signed for another club or whatever, I don't think anyone knows outside of him and his agent what's going on. I'm just going to check my phone quickly. Can't see anything about McLaren he's signing just yet. Yeah. 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 He's I, a Brisbane Raw player for now through the end of the season at least. And I think the three of us, it's fairly unanimous. We would all like to see McLaren back at the Raw for one more season just yeah. to sort of see where... This team's built for him to succeed the way it's set up. Absolutely. And with the way, with you know another off-season of recruitment, he's the sort of player that you could potentially build your team yeah. around if someone like Thomas Broach does decide to go and you need that new leading well, man we up front. Sort of We've got guys like Tommy or Brandville who've got pace, can get crosses in, a counter-attacking style. It's built for Jamie McLaren at the moment. If he goes, you've got to find another replacement or change it up again. Yep. All right, so last question comes comes from Josh Langs. My phone just hits the ground there. Never mind that. It's in a case, so it's not going to break. So Josh Lang asked for a serious discussion regarding a new stadium, for example, how to find it, where, size, etc. Can he, I go first and then add? Because I don't know, Ad's got a massive... Just, just quickly, about this. a serious discussion. I'm not sure Josh... Uh, John, sorry. John Lang <laughs> has ever actually listened to us before because yeah. serious, serious discussion... Yeah. That, mm. I think that's going to be more you guys. I'll see you next week. Okay, so, what's the, <laughs> so what is the question about... Read it again. Okay, hang on. So a serious discussion regarding a new stadium, you how to find it, where size. Okay, so basically what you're looking for is a stadium of about 20,000 people somewhere in the CBD. It's difficult to find a place. If you could if you could pick up Rabina and bring it to Brisbane, the stadium would be absolutely fantastic. I just don't know where you would put it. Perry Park is a place that continually gets brought up. I've got my reservations, not because of, it'd be a perfect location, it's just... I've got my reservations about going in with the strikers and being the second tenant again. Yeah, because or, I think we we would be the if they ever come into the league, we would be the bigger club. We're more established with one more. We should be the bigger club. I would hate to be, play at a stadium that's called Perry Park, is yellow and blue with strikers written all over it. It should be more set up for us. And I think if we can find somewhere, it'd be great. I just don't know where and how this is possible at the moment, given the way it is. Because the only politically, central, it's not yeah. going to work. I mean, because they all have little traction. So you would need a partner to go with you. So you need someone like the, the Queensland Reds to join you in a new stadium somewhere. That's the only way you have any chance of making something happen. And I feel like Ballymore's 
while a fantastic venue with Suburban a lot of history, yeah, it's just not quite at that level. Like, well, it would be cool to have you know the den on the hill at one end. It's impossible to get to by public transport, really. Yeah, it's not quite there, and it would probably require a lot more of an investment. You saw what happened to the, the strikers when they went there in the NSL; their crowds went completely south. So, I don't think that would be an option. And I'm just trying to think geographically, like the the closest thing you've got to a decent area might be actually just down the road from here, Cooperoo, where Giffen Park, where the Lions are training. And look, if they were to ever leave that uh, place, because weren't they looking at developing in Springfield at one Springfield point? Springfield and other places, yeah. So you could potentially want... How far is that from the train? Uh, about a 10-minute walk, but Cooperoo Station is very, very small and would need yeah, a major, thing, major upgrade. Ballymore is 10 minutes from Wilston train station. That's the thing. So it's the same sort of problem. Mm. It's hard to find the right place here. That's the, that's the thing. And not too accessible for buses either. Yeah. All right, Adam? Right. Okay. <laughs> the guys sit down. Look, um, as, as you know, I've been, I've been in the US, and which has basically been the model that where people are saying, you know, what all those clubs build their own stadiums. Well, here's, here's three facts. I was actually at Bank of California Stadium, which if people don't know, that's the new LAFC Stadium, which has just been constructed. That's going to cost three hundred fifty million US dollars. MLS team, right? Yep, that's a new the new MLS team. As I speak, no one in the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) But also, as well, some of the established stadiums like Orlando City Stadium, which has just been constructed at one hundred fifty million US dollars. The San Jose Earthquakes at Aviva Stadium is one hundred million US dollars. Now you can now you tell me where on earth at any club, any club in this A-League in the next 10 years can even find that money. City. And if no, no, well, I, I disagree. I, I actually disagree. I don't think City even would have the money. without. And this is, when I say without, without that, they don't have the money because without government support. Here in Brisbane, the Queensland government, you, as you know, don't give a damn about the Brisbane Raw. We had one minister there... And that, that was because it just happened to be there because he's, he's flogging off his new $7 million, you know, super screens. So how on earth can we expect a entity to come along and spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars? If we want the stadium, a 22,000-seat stadium, you know, that, that, is, you know, that is worthy of what we hope and perceive, there's not enough money in this league. I don't think any, I don't think any club no in this... There's model for it, is there, yeah. really? Because these stadiums are all year-round things. When there's no yep. games on, they have concerts. I know that annoys a lot of people, but that's what... That's yeah. how you get year-round content. You have yeah. events like Be- that. Because mm. e- even looking at the NFL stadiums, like Gillette Stadium yeah. for the New England Patriots, I think they're hosting about 10 concerts in the off-season yeah. along with their yep. MLS franchise, New England Revolution. and that's. But the stadium was built for the Patriots in yep. the NFL. Yeah. But with the NFL, you're getting 10 guaranteed dates of use per year. And, well, if you're the Patriots, you get at least one playoff game, yeah, usually yeah, yeah, two. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but keep in mind, so yeah. you're not going to build like $200 million stadium for... 13, maybe 14, 15 games per year. Absolutely not. Unless unless you had a plan to... And like I said, and this is the whole thing again, is that, you know, you, we have multi-purpose stadiums in this country, everywhere we go, because there is no way that any entity, any football entity in this country, or I think any club, I think even the Brisbane Broncos, building their own stadium for them and for them only, it doesn't work. And they are, them or Collingwood in the AFL, and they are the two biggest clubs yeah. In football in this country, and even them, it would not work. So I think, with all with all due respect, John, I just think this, this it's not a serious discussion yeah. because it will not happen in our lifetime. I do think you I'm, could argue. I'm sorry, I'm sorry that you know it comes yeah. off this hard, but you know I, I've been to the US, I've seen that, and that's a massive, and that's with government support, that's with local taxes, you know, that's with you know hundred hundred million dollar you know stadium rights, you know, package to go with it. 
to even get to that point. So it's just not going to happen in this country, not in our lifetime. We're running long, but let's just keep going because I like this. Now, as sports fans, you could argue, do we need our second stadium? Yeah, because it would allow, open things up, better quality playing, so it's the whole thing. To the government, they don't, that's not really a consideration for them. It's okay, how many events can we get into the Suncorp Stadium? Are they able to play their event? Yep, fine, cool, no problem. They're able to play the game, that's fine in their opinion. That's That's all they're worried about. The amount of, the Suncorp Stadium is not overused in their opinion. That's all that matters. And the one point I would actually make about Suncorp Stadium is it is probably the best rectangular stadium in Australia. Yeah. But... It's perfect because you've got the two train stations nearby. You've got the buses underneath. It's in the CBD. It's a perfect location. It, it was well set built up. to be that Well, just you just use that Suncorp Stadium example. Well, why have we not thought of... You know, say, like we were talking about off-air about, about the new stadium in Atlanta, the, the um, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the new $2 billion stadium that just opened there. Where even though for the for the um, Falcons it is seventy five thousand capacity for Atlanta United it's twenty five thousand because they actually have movable curtains yeah. and all that. If if we if the government or the operators are so adamant you know, of treating Raw as equal to the Broncos, why are they not investing in that? Are sort they of stuff? adamant about it? I haven't seen anything. It's just they are. No, of course not. Well, the one thing, but the one thing I would say, there are certain things you could do to, I mm. suppose, make Suncorp Stadium feel like more of a home. So. That top tier, the 700 level, never gets used, right? Let's just say, all right, stuff it. We're not going to sell tickets up there anyway. Let's put, you know, a couple of championship banners up there every time because I, I still would love to see Suncorp Stadium hang up, you know, the Queensland Reds, 2011 yep. Super Rugby Champions, the, the, Brisbane Raw. The six Raw. Broncos ones. You know, yeah, the, the Brisbane Raw Champions. And then, you know, hang them from the rafters and say, yeah, these are Brisbane's teams, they're champions and whatnot. Like in the TD Garden yeah. in Boston, the uh, basketball and ice hockey no stadium. Room, there's no room there anymore at TD Bank Garden. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, there's on they the retire anyone's mind, mind you, I will I will say it's at Staples Centre that I know the Lakers want to go. I don't think the Clippers actually have anything up there, but uh, or, or, <laughs> if you or the know Kings the NBA, that. you know why the Clippers have no retired <laughs> banners. And it, yeah, the Lakers have got sixteen titles. Yeah. The Boston Celtics have seventeen. You know, oh, be yeah. quiet, Boston boy. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, going back to my original point. Yeah. So you've got what. 10 bays up top there. So you could have, you know, 2011 Premiers, 2011 Champions. I hear your point. 36 unbeaten. You you got six banners right then and there you could easily put up and just make it feel a little bit more like a home. It feels like a rugby league stadium, doesn't it? I don't know if if it feels like a rugby league stadium. It just... The whole precinct feels like a rugby league stadium. And I know, I get, I understand why it is the more popular sport. There's no... And it was, I suppose, built for the Broncos yeah. and to a lesser extent the Reds because when it was built, the yeah. Raw didn't exist. <laughs> but in that same regard, like there are certain things you could do to make Suncorp feel more like a home if, as we all kind of feel, that yeah. second Brisbane Stadium is unrealistic. But the way I would yeah. actually attack that would be Thomas Broich. Yeah. He deserves a statue. Or maybe Matt Mackay. Like, you know, Matt Mackay that... would be the one because yeah. he's a local boy. You remember that pose from the 2011 Grand Final after Pardaloo yeah. equalised where he's running with his yeah. arms yep. up and just looking up, saying things that I probably can't repeat on radio. <laughs> but you've got that. You put that out there. And, you know, you could even have that with the Reds. You know, you've got a whole bunch of great players like John Eels and whatnot. Yeah. If you want to... It is a sports venue. Treat it like one. Yep. Back to the point about a reasonable discussion about the stadium. It's it's a hard one to have because I can't think of a logical location for it. And I can't think of a logical partner other than the Reds at the moment because well, they, unless there's a new rugby league team coming in who doesn't want to play at a Suncorp Stadium, you're going to need somebody else who's going to 
I would attract actually... year-round content at this stadium because otherwise it's going to sit dormant from when the Raw finishes in May through October. No, just and that's just not and I kind of work. feel like if you are going to... I know the Royal are building their training facilities at Logan, which kind of kills off any idea. And the Reds are never going to move from their spiritual home at Ballymore. But if you are going to build a stadium somewhere, you're going to have to turn it into some sort of... I suppose, facility like what Collingwood have got in the AFL. And you, again, go back to a lot of those US franchises. Not only have they got their stadium, they've got their training facilities there yeah, right next door. It's a very different culture in America, though, because all the stadiums aren't always in the CBD. I know that the Boston, the Patriots one's not even near Boston. It's way up the highway, isn't it? Yeah, 45 yeah, So there's a culture of driving to the stadium and parking all the rest of it. Here in Brisbane, it's get on the train, get on the bus, and get right to the stadium and walk in. It, it's yeah. a very different culture. Well, even when the new sta- NFL stadium is built at Inglewood, um, that, that's still a fair sort of way. At the moment, um, LA Coliseum is a, it's, a, it's, fairly, it's not downtown, but it's where, where Bank of California Stadium is going to be as well. It's not downtown, but the metro serves it. It's, it's probably about 10 minutes, you know, as the crow flies, but about two hours by car. But yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, that, that's that's and they're, and they're, but they're marking it as downtown. They're marking it as yeah. a, a central location, and even that's far out. So but that's what yeah. that's one thing you could actually almost consider yeah. is because. But in the, if you, if you are going to build a new stadium, do you want to include some sort of parking facilities? You have to. If it's not in the CBD, you've got to. You have to have a way for people to drive there. Because it's an interesting thing because people don't really drive to sport events here in in Australia. I can't think of many places where you drive right to the. To the football ground. There's not many. You, mm. can't, you take no, public well, transport I, to get there, and that's a different culture. Amy Park down in Melbourne, I think the closest you get is like you catch a cab or something to... The tram. Acro- acro- or just to across the river or something. Yeah. But the idea I would actually say, and this just popped into my head, QE2 Stadium, you're not using that a whole lot. See, this is the thing. When the Broncos played there in the 90s and 2000s, that might give you more details because mm. it's an all side. People over the north side hated it. It was too far for them to travel. That was the yeah. big complaint about it, and that's why the Broncos were so desperate to get back to Suncorp because it was... T- it's a even, location. Even I think the, QSAT can work, but it's whether or not you can sell it to the north side. That's the question. But again, that's also where you might be able to say, "All right, it's a fairly big complex as is. You can, mm-hmm. like, if you're going to just knock it down and start from scratch, you've got." I don't think you can do that given the government and the QAS. I think okay, not, well, just yeah. just hear me out yeah. here for the sake of it. So you knock it down and start from scratch. You can build probably state of the art athletics facility that could host X number of events per year. Yep. Like you've got. High school things, state like you know, I've got GPS, AIC, all of that. Yeah. You could also probably host certain events there as well for athletics. You've got, and if you then were to build, say, twenty thousand seat football stadium, you're probably going to have room there for some sort of parking structure. It would. Pro- There's no way that you're going to build a parking structure for twenty thousand people and not have it be a total pain to get out of. That's just a way of yeah. life. But you could also upgrade the public transport thing and have people. Bussing it out from you I think know it's the Altandy station, I think it is. Altandy yeah. was the one they used to bus you to. Yeah, but again, like but they, they upgraded it for Suncorp, yeah, or Lang Park as it was at mm. the time. Was it Suncorp when they rebuilt it? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. small thing, but that is about the closest thing I can find to the most realistic location. If you're going to build twenty thousand, because I would say anytime you're getting over twenty thousand yeah. to a game, you're almost at the point where you're going to be filling the lower bowl of Suncorp anyway. The bottom was, I think it's. It's a, as much as we'd all love it, John. I think it's one of those things that's twenty years down the line, and we might have a solution. It's not going to be a short term thing. Because also, yeah, and as we were talking about before, it's not quite viable for the A League yet. No, no. MLS they all have smaller stadiums, but they're all taxpayer funded, yeah, and you're no. not going to get taxpayers to fund a, a stadium, stadium for Brisbane Raw. It's not going to happen. Not alone. I think you are going to need, as you said, that second yeah. NRL side. 
All right, guys, we were worried we'd have nothing to talk about today. I think this might be our longest episode yet. So (laughs) if you've listened to the whole episode in one go... Awesome. Right, thank you for all those people who sent those questions yeah, as well. There's some great absolutely. topics in there. Yeah, you've spawned a half-hour discussion. So. Yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do next week? Well, it is Champions back League. To, back to the old topic of talking about games. That's right. Well, before oh, we go, yes. though, we've got Champions League predictions to make. So the Raw are travelling to Kashmir to face yes. Kashmir Antlers. So, Adam, what's your pick for that game? No. One all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go 2-1 to the Raw. I'm pretty much screwed in the uh, points predictions anyway, <laughs> so I may, as well, I may as well just go for broke. I was hoping to open up a league while Adam wasn't here and people were tipping for him, but no one has stitched him up. I'm disappointed. <laughs> yes, Adam, it's good to have you back. Thank but, you, guys. <laughs> but we should say thank you to yeah. Griff, Richard, and Woz for filling nice. in while yep. you're away. And Adam, if you yep. do decide to leave us on another holiday again, <laughs> just know we've got several yep. really good replacements. Yeah, we've got, we've got the rotation policy ready to yep. go. All right, so thanks for listening to this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Enjoy the football this weekend, even if the Roar aren't playing. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Here's a thought. What if you woke up to find you'd won $20,000 every month for 20 years? Imagine the possibilities. Set for life from New South Wales Lotteries. Grab an entry in-store or online today.